welcome to the interview. We've brought you on to give us a little bit of context about the 70s, maybe clear up some questions we had as far as what was going on in that time. We had a few questions that we weren't sure if it was simply a difference between 2020 now and the 70s, or if this family and some of their decisions and things that happened were really just as out there as it seemed. First of all, thank you for having us. It's a real pleasure to be on your show today. Thank you. All right. So jumping right into the questions first, do you think in the 70s, kids will say 15 and under had more or less autonomy in the 70s than they do now? I believe that we had way less autonomy because as, as far as my growing up, we didn't do anything without permission, without express, where are you, what time, where have you been, what are you doing, anything like that. So it, no, I, I, I don't think that, you know, I was come up with my own ideas to do what I wanted. And that would have been really rejected in my household anyway. I agree. I think that as a child in the seventies, I was more or less just following the guideline of my parents and what their beliefs were, not really thinking very independently and definitely not acting independently. So was stranger danger something that was heavily talked about, you know, not going by yourself anywhere or not talking to adults that you didn't know? Obviously, in this documentary, the perpetrator was not a stranger, but it still is kind of you know, how trusting were kids brought up to be of other adults that were not their parents or direct family? In my situation, I, I think adults were more trusted, but we still had the stranger danger. We, we did not converse and was always warned not to converse with strangers. You know, that was just a given rule. So the thing is, we didn't really know these new words like, you know, pedophilia or grooming. None of that was ever spoke about. It was just, you don't talk to strangers. And in my household, I'd take that a little bit further. I, I really didn't talk to adults unless I was spoken to. That was just a, that was just a given rule. And, and even today, you know, I'll stare at somebody and they'll go, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't want to interrupt until I was recognized. So anyway, no, I, I never would talk to a stranger, but grooming and, and pedophilia, I had no clue what that meant or what that was all about. And the same for me, I grew up in a more rural setting than him, but we were still made aware of strangers, but not in such a way that kids are now just more of a keep it safe stay with people you know but pedophilia and child abuse were not terms that i was even familiar with in the 70s i didn't know anyone that had been a victim and those were not words that i heard in the 70s either okay i think now those things are so widely known about especially i would say more so with the grooming too like behaviors that we know to look out for that are certain triggers or clues that someone is not going to be safe. So it's kind of good to know that like that maybe wasn't widely known or acknowledged back then. So maybe not that the parents in this situation, I think were, were to be excused for everything that happened, 
but maybe they weren't as familiar with that kind of stuff either. So do you think those problems were as prevalent back then as they are now, even if they weren't talked about? Yes, I I believe this has been going on as long as mankind. And and I just think it's simply a, a matter of we have so much information now that that we can go on and knowledge and and things are said out loud. I think that would make it look like these events were happening more, but I personally don't believe that. I think that those types of things were happening then, but I don't think to the extent that they are now. And definitely they were not available in social media and television. That wasn't things that made top news then. So do you think there was a bigger level of trust between people, like let's say neighbors even? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we gave people the benefit of the doubt until they proved us wrong. Well, I grew up in a rural setting and a lot of the families around me had known each other for generations and had lived and grown up in this area for multiple generations. So those people we had more trust for. Someone new coming into the community You'd be friendly, you'd be nice, you accept them, but they didn't have the same level of trust. I'd like to say one other thing about that. You know, our community was the church and people that you knew in church, you knew better. You thought you knew better, if you will. So, so we had people from the church over for dinners and, you know, if I wanted to go somewhere and my mom was aware of that person's parents were at the church, that made a huge difference. Now, you know, whether they were any better than anybody else. But the community that you refer to for us was church people. And yes, they were much more trusted, I believe, than people in your neighborhood. I I was in a different situation because I was in large rural neighborhoods. So, you know, houses six feet away from each other. And like you say, other than a wave or a, hey, how you doing? We, We did not dig into other people's business. Interesting. Well, because this is something that Alyssa and I talk about a little bit in the podcast, which I know obviously you guys haven't listened to yet, but we, we kind of talked about how we wished that the connection of these people's religion, because I don't know much about Church of Latter-day Saints, but how their religion kind of lent into this story so much. And I think it was the big part that probably could have been talked about a lot more in the documentary, how much of their religion, I I almost hate to use the word, but enabled what happened to happen because of the, the notions they had about the people that went to their church and were part of their religious community. I no, I agree. I, I agree totally that in matter of fact, that's, it was well said as an enabler So leading into that a little bit, I know both of you grew up relatively religious households. Knowing I connect these two because I think as children learning about religion and some of the things that, you know, you can't see in front of your face, but you're you're taught to to trust and believe in. Do you think that for a 12 year old, an alien abduction would have been plausible. I feel like I would have questioned an alien abduction story as a 12-year-old. Well, that's a great question. You know, how this child was led into the belief of aliens and all that kind of stuff. Now, I understand the trickery, but 
she had so much time to talk to other people, first of all, her parents, her friends. And so this was not a, to, to me, as far as I saw in the documentary, a pressurized, you know, oh, oh my gosh, I've got to make this decision now. She held on to that for a long time. And if I answer your question properly, I would say, no way, no way do I understand the alien thing at all. I mean, you know, apparently this was a well-educated child, but I know even at my age, aliens were just another theory. And, and I can't even equate that to religious background. I, I, I don't even see the correlation there. It's just aliens, really? You know, that's always been a mystery of, you know, our culture, but not real. I don't think growing up in the 70s between the ages of 12 and 16, I don't think I would have believed a story that someone told me about an alien abduction. And even if I had concerns about it and was unsure if they had threatened anyone in my family, I would not have just gone along with that. I would have either talked to my friends and said, hey, what do you think about this? Or I would have talked to my parents if I was scared they were in danger. But just to believe that from another person that wasn't my parent or my some friends that I had known forever, no. And it, it, well, it's kind of funny that actually we chose to do this documentary and it has this component. Literally just yesterday, the... The Pentagon released a video of an unidentified flying object that they have held on to and had video evidence of and basically saying like they can't identify this. They don't know where it came from, what it is. It doesn't appear to belong to any other country. So I wouldn't and think that small, but in this case... The, the fact that I was being controlled by an alien, I, I just, I, I couldn't take it. I, I would have to ask somebody, I would say, you're nuts or whatever. My basic instinct would just go, no way. I, I agree. So with that, there was, it looked like a tape recorder to me at first, but it's been brought to my attention that intercoms were a big thing back then. So would that have been something widely accessible or used like, because I had the question when I watched the documentary initially, I thought it was a tape recorder. And I was like, if this girl is hearing all this stuff through this tape recorder, why wouldn't she just hit the stop button? <laughs> exactly. So did those just come out during that time? And maybe she would not have known what that was or known how it worked. Because now looking at that, you just hit the stop button or whatever, but. No, tape recorders and the cassette tape recorder have been around for quite a while. They were super accessible. They weren't hard to operate whatsoever. And and matter of fact, I would say that every household had one just because they were very inexpensive, fun to play with. You could record your voice and listen to it, make fun. You could you could put it, you know, somewhere and, and record music. And then the cassette that most of these recorders used then got real popular and, and so that's what music was on in cars and stuff like that so you would record your favorite music basically off the radio or whatever and then and then play that music so and it had a button on there and had a little microphone you know they, they no, they were very very common very cheap 
also, you know, if there was some other device like an intercom that he was using, maybe that she couldn't turn off. Again, I agree with you, you know, yeah, just simply turn it off. But in the situation where B had a very well thought out plan to play this, and maybe he could do that to her. Maybe he did use a tape recorder. I, I kind of think it was maybe a an intercom where he would just, you know, push a button and go, you are being taken, you know, whatever. But that that's what I think. Okay, I've actually never used one like that. So one of those couldn't be turned off or stopped or anything necessarily. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're oh. right. You just push a button, it's gone, it's stopped. You know, oh, and all of them, all of them, no matter what, had volume, you know, so you could turn the volume down. Oh, okay. Tape recorders, they were fun. You'd play with them and see how funny you sounded when you played the tape back. But yeah, yeah, I don't think it would be plausible that if that was a tape recorder, she wouldn't know how to reach over and stop it or turn it off. I think she would know that was a recording, a recorded message. That's the vibe I got. That's one of the biggest things that we wanted to get your input on because to me, it's just crazy. Like she was saying it was sitting right next to her. It's like you wouldn't push a button, pull out a wire. I think it was not a tape recorder or not a typical one. I think it was something different for her to think she had to listen to that and that it was coming from a source other than someone recording it. Gotcha. That would make sense. So my last two are centered around you as parents. So where do you think you would have drawn the line between B and Jan at any point? For me, as a parent, as soon as it was attention directed directly to one child, that would have been my first red flag. And then separation, like the fact that he wanted to be alone with her would just be no. No, you want, you want to take the kids out, take them all out. You know, a group, if you're a, if you're a neighbor that you're interested in children, maybe you don't have any, which he did. I don't know, but the line would have been drawn at any isolation. It mentioned that they were aware that she was being singled out for his attention. And as soon as, as that was realized as a parent, I would not have had any more contact with him or his family. And I would have felt the need to protect my child. There were too many kids in his family and theirs for him to ever take one child anywhere. And for him being new in the community, I doubt he would have been able to take my child, even the siblings, if he wasn't taking his own children somewhere. He would not come over and just take my children when he's got kids at home he needs to be focusing on and doing things with. Yeah, I really wish some of the family, I mean, I can understand why they may not want to do a a documentary like that, but it would have been really interesting to see their perspective on what was going on because it, it was very easy in the documentary to completely forget that he had a wife and he had kids of his own. Can you relate to the parents in terms of their own guilt and shame overshadowing their ability to recognize that things were going on with Jan. And and I don't mean just between Jan and B even. I mean, they kind of disregarded her behavior after she came back from the second kidnapping. And I think there was a lot that led up to her having some of the issues that she had. 
No, I don't understand at all the, the issues that the parents had being put before their children. You know, the parents obviously had, you know, one one was having an affair. The other one was dealing with homosexuality, you know, both probably super, super not not okay in the church and at that time worse than ever. But that would have no bearing on the protection of your child. I guess it was an illustration how powerful B was to seduce not only a child, but two adults. I was a little bit concerned about the amount of time that passed before they contacted the police for help. Mm -hmm. If, if my child went somewhere and was not back when they were supposed to be, that would set something in motion for me at that point. Even if I knew the person, I would feel like something was wrong, whether they had had an accident, whether something was going on, but I couldn't just sit and wait. And if I had to choose between taking the consequences and making known something I had done that I was ashamed of or doing what I knew was needed to protect my child, I just cannot imagine thinking of myself and making myself a priority over protecting my child if I knew there was something going on they needed protecting from. Thank you for your thoughtful input. We really appreciate it because I think we got a lot of good context. Excellent. Well, thank you for having us. Absolutely. We appreciate you having us on your show and uh, enjoyed being here.